in the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Matthew Arnold, the one-time chair of poetry at Oxford University, said one time of the world's most famous institution of higher learning that Oxford was the home of lost causes and forsaken beliefs and unpopular names and impossible loyalties. Oxford University, the home of lost causes and forsaken beliefs. I, I think the same could probably be said of many of, um, of many of institutions of higher learning, one time or another. Don't get me wrong, I, I, I spent a lot of time, like many of you, in these institutions, so I, I have a, an affinity for them, and a lot of friends who still, uh, who still work there, former colleagues, and, and um, they're nestled in their ivory towers, and, and I love them, and I, I love those places. I have a soft spot uh, for those sorts of, of environments. But it's true. The home of forsaken beliefs, oftentimes. Uh, forsaken beliefs are as common at universities as wheelchairs are at nursing homes. I mean, that's just the way it is, isn't it? They, they are places where big ideas are discarded as passe. Revolutions are thought up over lunch because they cost almost nothing to do so. A young woman told me just a couple weeks ago, that she was sitting in a university classroom. And the professor told her that, that the entire Judeo-Christian belief system was completely absurd and said it almost as a footnote in the middle of a discussion on English literature. Big ideas. Rarely are there big ideas that come from the universities or anywhere else for which one is willing to die. Sure, there are some big ideas. You know, you get Copernicus's, um, you know, his uh, heliocentric cosmology. You know, the sun is the center of the universe. You get that. You might get Darwin's uh, natural selection. Pretty big idea. Caused quite a bit of stir. You might get protests against wars like Vietnam. Maybe you remember, maybe remember reading that uh, on May 4th, 1970, not too far from here. Big protest against the U.S.'s invasion of Cambodia. And students at Kent State University were out marching in protest against that invasion. And, and, and there was a shooting. Four students were killed. Nine others were injured. Big day, wasn't it, Pete? Remember being there? Yeah, this was a big event. Happened here, very close by. It, 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 was, it was a big idea that caused somebody to actually die. But let me tell you what. Nobody expected that that was what was going to happen. Nobody thought that National Guardsmen would actually open fire on unarmed college students. I bet none of those students, I, I, I don't know, I, I'll have to run this by Pete over at Kepner sometime, I bet nobody that day got up and thought to themselves, I might die because of the protest today. I'm betting, I would all... I would, I'm almost certain that there were people who got up that day and said, you know, to their friends or their roommate, hey, I've got this protest I'm going to go to over by Taylor Hall, and then i got class at 3, and I'll meet you at Ray's for a beer at 8. You know, I think that conversation probably happened a lot. Somebody might have even said, well, you know, I don't know if I'll make it to Ray's. I might be in jail, you know, but if I don't go to jail, I'll see you there. Might go to jail. Nobody Nobody was going to die. Nobody thought that that idea would cost them their life. Because ideas don't usually cost so much. 
ideas don't usually cause people you know, that kind of, there's not that kind of cost attached to an idea or a, or a, a, a notion. I mean, usually if something kind of goes astray with an idea and it gets really heated, you usually say something like, gee, I'm sorry, I didn't know you would get so upset about that, you know, and, and, and we sort of back away. Rare is the person who actually has to be brave for their ideas. Unless, of course, you talk to my mother about politics and you happen to be a Democrat. In which case, you may be taking your life in your hands on that one. She's still on suicide watch. I have to tell you, I call home on a regular basis. Maybe some of you, yeah, I see a little bit of nerve. Yeah, so, uh, that was a joke. Um, you, you, there are some times where you have to take your life in your hands for your, for your positions, but, but not all the time. Quite often, not at all. We can always change our minds. We can also have a different opinion. We can always move from one idea to another. That's the difference between ideas and faith. Ideas are cheap. They cost nothing. Ideas are like, they're like poker chips in the hands of children. You know, the currency is completely mythical. But not so with faith. Faith demands courage. It demands conviction. It demands that you, you bet not just your, your, um, your moment, but you bet your life on this. That you believe it with all of your heart and being. And that's the story of the book of Ruth. That we've been going through for the last couple of weeks. The story of Ruth is the story of, of a brave woman. It's certainly the story of two brave women, Naomi and, and her daughter-in-law Ruth. But, but Ruth's situation is a little different. Naomi was sort of drafted. She was conscripted into her role. But Ruth volunteered. Do you remember? Ruth also lost her husband, but she's a young woman. She could, she could go be remarried. She could live a happy life. But she said, no, I, I want to go with you, Naomi. I, I'll, I'll hitch my wagon to you. I, I will, I'll risk everything for you. Ruth is she's a hero. She's like a like a firefighter, you know? She's like somebody who jumps into a swollen river to save someone else. She's this crazy heroic woman. Um, can I just, a little deviation here, just a little as a side. Um, I want to make a small observation. This book, Ruth, was written probably, it was written about a period that existed somewhere around 1200 B.C., Maybe a thousand, eleven hundred, somewhere in that neighborhood, and it couldn't have been written any later than 500 BC, which means that this book that we're reading right here is at the very earliest about 2,500 years old. At the latest, it could be about 3,200 years old. For all the talk about the Bible's misogyny and patriarchy and all the sorts of things that I've heard, and you've probably heard along the way, all the critiques of biblical literature. The Bible here offers the story not of men who show to be the ideal of faith, but women. The Bible's idea of, of the equality between the sexes is one of equality. In fact, it, see, it sees evil as the thing that breaks down that equality, not the created order. That said, back to Ruth. Ruth is the story of a woman who sees opportunity and she seizes it. Uh, both Naomi and Ruth see an opportunity and they seize it. Now, remember Naomi, uh, her story is um, her husband died. Her two sons both died. She has no way of, uh, of making a living. A career is not open to her. She has no children to move in with. She has no one who will take care of her. And she's too old to be remarried because in her world, marriage included 
the ability to have children. And since she cannot have children, she's not able to be married. Her, her future is bleak. Ruth's not the same. She can be remarried, but because she chose to hitch her wagon to Naomi, she has caused herself all kinds of problems. I mean, what guy is going to want to marry Ruth and take on yet somebody else's mother-in-law? I mean, this is not something that is going to work out, right? But it just so happens, it just so happens that Ruth winds up working in the field of this guy called Boaz. Boaz is a great chap. He's a good fellow. He's respectable. He's decent. He's, he's everything that you would... And he's got something else going for him. Because of the law of the land that day, Boaz is one of the few people in the world who could marry Ruth. And if he did so, he could buy Naomi's land back from, for her that she had to sell when she hit uh, pay, you know, poverty. He could buy Naomi's land. He could marry Ruth. They could have children, and they could all be one big happy family. He's one of the few people in the world who could do this, and he happens to be a really nice guy to boot. He's a respectable man. He's a gentleman. But look, Naomi makes a plan that is predicated on this fact. He's still a man. I want you to look. Take your bulletin, will you? And look with me. It's on page 5. Um, will you look with me at the, at the beginning of this lesson again? In, in Ruth chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, Naomi said, um, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that is Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Ruth, or Naomi is saying to Ruth, Look, I need to look out for you. I, I've got to work something out for you. How about a plan? Verse 2, Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known until the man has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. You have to understand this. In the ancient world, the threshing floor. This is a place out in the open. Men would go there with pitchforks. And it would be a place where like a wind tunnel. You ever you know, been a place where like wind kind of comes rushing through? And the men would take pitchforks. They have a big pile of hay that has the wheat still attached to the straw. They'd stick the pitchforks in, throw it up in the air. The wind would blow the straw because it was really light to one side. And the heavy grain would fall to the ground. So they would go down there and they'd work real hard in the evening. Kind of separating the grain from the stalk. You'd have a pile of hay and you'd have a pile of kernels of grain. And in the evening, after they had done this for a good long time, they would all share a meal, which included a couple, you know, barley beverages, uh, maybe something, uh, you know, a little glass of wine or something like that. And then, and then the men would go off and leave one guy there to guard the pile. Naomi knows that this night is the night when Boaz will be guarding the pile of grain. He's going to be there all alone. If you were to study this very carefully, if you were to take and open a couple commentaries on this, um, this passage, it might make you blush because of what Naomi tells Ruth to do. She tells her to go down and, um, well, she tells her to snuggle up to Boaz. 
When she says uncover his feet, she's not talking about taking off his shoes. She means to snuggle up against it and, and, and do this. Now, that's dangerous. That's, it's a dangerous thing to do because Ruth is not only risking the possibility that she could be violated. She's risking the possibility that this decent guy, Boaz, might wake up, call her an adulteress, drag her out to the edge of the street, and have her stoned to death. Naomi's plan means that Ruth has to risk her life in order to get Boaz's attention. And Ruth still does it. She does it even though she even though she's worried about it, even though she knows it's a dangerous enterprise, she still does it. She goes there and, and what happens? Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night and says middle of the night and says, What? Well, who is this? And a conversation goes on, let's get married. Okay? It works out perfectly. But a lot of things could have gone wrong. Ruth could have lost her life because of this. She's a brave woman, this Ruth. She doesn't play hard to get. She, doesn't, she might get kicked out of some universities for following, not following the, the code of conduct. She does something that's dangerous. But she does it because she believes that God has placed her in this area. That by His providence, He has opened up a door of opportunity. And she is not going to stand by and let it go by. She's going to make something happen. She's going to force... Faith is seeing and believing and acting. You get that? Faith is not just believing. Faith is seeing what's happening in front of you. It's believing that God is involved in it. And it is acting. It is having the courage to act. It's not a mental exercise. It's not just something you can do in your room at night. Oh, I believe. It's not about... You can almost never exercise faith in a room just by yourself. I mean, not never, but almost never. Faith is boldness. Faith is action. Faith is daring. It is stepping out and believing that God is going to be acting on your behalf. It's saying, Lord, I'm going to take a step, and if you don't save me, I'm undone. Faith is being at the edge of a precipice and saying, I'm going to jump, and I'm going to trust God to catch me. It is not standing at the edge of a precipice and saying, Lord, here I am, come get me. That is not faith. Faith is is, is Moses stepping into the Red Sea. Faith is the children of Israel stepping down into the Jordan River before it turns into dry land. Faith is Abraham leaving his family, going to the place that God says, I will show you. It's Noah building an ark when everybody else thought he was ridiculous in the laughingstock of the neighborhood. Faith is David facing down Goliath when he knew that nobody else was willing to do this. Faith is Martin Luther standing at the Diet of Worms and saying... I, my conscience is captive to the Holy Scriptures and nothing else. And if you can show me where my doctrine defers from the Scripture, I will recant. But if you cannot, I will not. He faced being burned at the stake for saying that. Faith is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, safely in the United States during the Second World War, going back to Germany, knowing that the Gestapo was after him, risking his life, in fact, giving his life as a martyr. Because he said, I will have no part in rebuilding Germany after the war if I will not suffer with them during the war. Ideas are cheap. Ideas are really cheap. They cost almost nothing. 
But faith is costly. Faith is Ruth risking her virtue, her reputation, risking her life. Faith is bold. Faith is taking a step when nobody else thinks it's possible. Faith is is taking a chance. It is not for the cowardly. Faith is not for the faint of heart. But get this. Faith is the only means by which we shall be saved. For the just shall live by their faith. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.